Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Wolf Den. This is your host, T. Wolf, and today I am joined by an amazing guest, Dr. Kathleen Davis. We will be discussing the topic of mental health. Mental health has always seemed like a somewhat taboo topic, but today we're going to talk candidly about it and hopefully dispel some anxiety behind the phrase. So hello, Dr. Davis. Hello, how are you this morning? I am, it's it's morning and it's a Saturday, so I think I'm doing all right. All right, me too. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so this is the first time an episode like this is on the podcast. We have such a diverse um, listening population. Um, we have some people listening in from the UK. We have some people listening in from France, as well as Canada and the US. So the knowledge behind mental health is probably all over the place, dispersed, as well as um, some cultural and social norms, you know, being mixed in there as well. So do you mind going into a little bit of, you know, what it is as a professional, what this field looks like and, and things like that? Well, I mean, as a as a professional and if we're talking about the field in general it's a very diverse field because there's different specialty areas mm -hmm. so you might have people that specialize in the more clinical aspect of it okay and then you might have people that specialize in doing outreach um and you might have people who or professionals who provide different um treatment modalities okay and so it, it's very diverse as a field. So what I would say for people who are looking to maybe go into psychology or mental health is that there really is a little bit of something for everyone. And then how that plays out for the general population is there's a lot of different resources and ways to go with treatment. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense because it is a broad you know, spectrum of things. I know as a college student, psychology alone <laughs> is just it's, right. it's immersed in everything. So before we get too far into the weeds, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So uh, my name is Dr. Kathy Davis. I like Kathy, okay, a little bit more informal. Um, so I work in mental health and I've been in the field for uh, many years, but I've also done rehabilitation counseling, which is working with people with disabilities and removing barriers to employment. So when I did that work, I was also uh, working with people with uh, mental health, chronic mental health issues. Okay. Um, so the population that I work with now, it's a very vulnerable population. It's the homeless or those mm. who are at risk of being homeless. And this population suffers with chronic mental health conditions, including addiction, bipolar disorder, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, and traumatic brain injury. 
So I work with patients who are frequently hospitalized for uh. behaviors stemming from addiction and mental illness. And my job is to do outreach and uh, help them with finding wraparound services and mm-hmm. provide case management and coordinate treatment. Okay. Okay. That's so it's very, very complex. <laughs> it sounds, that's exactly what I was getting ready to say. That sounds complex. And I mean, you have yes. to be a special kind <laughs> of person to do it. And also I um, teach okay. uh, part time for a local community college. So I teach psychology 101 and Fun. teaching has been my side gig, if you will, for <laughs> several years now. So I have two passions professionally, mental health Mm -hmm. and uh, education. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm going to have to sit in on one of your classes (laughs) before I go. I would love that. Or maybe have you as a guest speaker. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. That's um, what I'm working my When I get to that point, my doctoral um, specialty is going to be criminal psychology. So that's. That's going to be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So See, that's exciting. Another little niche there, right? Yes, yes. So what got you interested in mental health in the first place? Um, so I just want to do a quick disclaimer before we get into that, but the opinions and the knowledge I'm sharing here is mm-hmm. based on my own. Uh, it's not associated with my employers. Okay. Disclaimer, everyone. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So what got me interested in mental health? Yes. Oh, uh, so I think I've always had the interest in psychology. And when I was younger, um, I worked in the business field. So my undergrad's in business and Mm -hmm. I do, I did enjoy doing that. And I worked for, um, a newspaper Mm. and my, my supervisor would say to me all the time, how, how do you get these people to talk to you like that? Because I would, you know, I did customer service. I'd start talking to people next thing, you know, they're telling me their life stories and what's going on with them. And, you know, just an empathetic ear, I guess. Mm-hmm. Even even then, um, when you look back, you can see those sort of key moments in life that help shape you, right? Right. And so that that is one uh, one way that I wanted, or that I really became interested in it. But the other way uh, is my own experiences with mental health mm-hmm. distress. Okay. Mm-hmm. So normally I don't self-disclose, especially when I'm working with clients, because I feel like that's their time. But because of the importance of the subject that we're talking about today, I feel like I need to share about my own experiences because we can't overcome these stigmas if we don't talk about them. Absolutely. And normalize them. So when I was in my 20s, um, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder okay. and anxiety. I still struggle with post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, and depression. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
So when I was in my 20s, you know, now I've had all this wonderful training in psychology, so I better understand my behaviors and my mental state. But then it was quite scary, right? Mm-hmm, <laughs> so I'm right. having flashbacks, I'm having um, insomnia and some of the other um, symptoms that go with post-traumatic stress disorder. It was very scary. Mm-hmm. It was very scary. But anyway, I ended up getting into therapy and I loved it. I mean, I loved the whole process. It literally saved my life. Mm -hmm. And um, so I became really interested in um, counseling after that point. And then oddly enough, my brother comes to me. Uh, He knew I was looking to go on and get my master's degree, but I Mm -hmm. just hadn't decided and walked. And so anyway, long story short, he's like, and and you have to understand, I lived in northern Michigan, so there weren't a lot of uh, opportunities to um, take training in mental health counseling. Okay, okay. Okay. (laughs) So paint the picture. But anyway, he's like, hey, there's this program, this master's program through Western Michigan University in Traverse City. And that was about, you know, 50 miles from where I live. Okay. And I'm like, oh, oh, that's doable. And I thought, oh, I don't know. I have a bachelor's degree in business. I don't think they're going to accept me. Well, I applied and they accepted me. And here we are all these years later. Wow. And then I, um, went back and got my doctorate in international psychology, which is really kind of a multidisciplinary um, focus on different cultures, the impacts of um, violence and conflict and um, Mm -hmm. natural disasters on mental health and also looking at um, you know, healthcare disparities and mental health disparities with minority populations. Okay. Okay. Thank you for, you know, sharing your, your experience. You know, I can definitely relate. I myself have PTSD as well as a panic disorder. So I completely understand it and being able to get on the back end and actually learn about it. Um, let's say academically has been an eye opener. So I, I completely get it. I, I get it. So. Absolutely. And knowledge is power, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> always knowledge is power that's right so what exactly is mental health i I feel that the term is used extremely loosely and it's extremely broad what exactly is it though okay so what mental health is uh, i want people to understand that there's an important distinction between mental health is related to our overall health and mental illness. So those okay. are two different things. When we say mental health, we were, we're talking about how, how are we doing overall with our mental well-being? Mm-hmm. Just as if we were talking about our physical health, right? Okay. So the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention define mental health as um, our emotional psychological and social well-being it affects how we think feel and act it also helps determine how we handle stress relate to others and make healthy choices 
But that doesn't mean that people with good overall good mental health do not have bad days or experience sadness, anger, or frustration. Mm-hmm. Because that's all part of the human condition. Okay. So as the saying goes, you know, into each life a little rain must fall. Right. But it's how we cope with that rain, adjust to the changing climate, so to speak, and are able to just move on with it. Okay. Okay. Right. So mental health is, think of it on the same level as you would physical health. Okay. Does that make sense? That does. So mental health doesn't necessarily mean illness. It just means the health of your mental state, your social state, your emotional state. Yeah, it's our overall, it's part of our overall health. Okay. Just like our physical health. Okay. Um, But, you know, what's happened in the medical field is we've kind of spliced, uh, you know, we've kind of spliced the brain away from the body and we look at different uh, bits and parts of um, the physical, Mm -hmm. but it really is, is all part of one unit. Okay. Okay. And so just like a a side question, since we should look at mental health as physical health as well, essentially, um, should we be getting regular checkups for our mental health? Like do therapeutic sessions, journaling, things like that, um, to promote mental health? Like how do you promote positive and good mental health? That's a really good question. So Unless there's a reason for you to um, see a specialist, you don't really have to do that to maintain mental health. So again, there's a distinction there. So to maintain mental health, there's a lot of things that you can do. You can, um, you know, like you said, journal, get your feelings out. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can do artistic things, you know, some people exercise, some people do uh, meditation. Um, All of these things that you do are good for your overall mental health. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. It makes perfect sense. Like I'm learning new things today. So now that we know... Now that we know what mental health is, I know you you previously said that, you know, feeling upset or angry doesn't necessarily mean that you have bad mental health or that you have an illness. So what else isn't or is not considered um, a part of mental health or or things like like feelings people feel? What isn't mental health? Okay. So... This is a tough question. And I thought, well, maybe that's to be expected in the wolf den, huh? <laughs> always, <laughs> always. <laughs> oh, I'm just too much. Um, <laughs> so I think the easiest way to answer that is to talk a little bit more about that distinction between good mental health and mental illness. Those are two different things, right? Okay. Just like good physical health and some kind of illness are two separate things. Right. Um, Humans are amazingly resilient, which is to say adaptive to situations. Okay. And many have done fine adjusting to the overall stresses of this pandemic. So I want to use that as an example because it's ongoing and I know that 
most of us are tired of hearing about it, mm-hmm. but it does show that distinction. Okay. Okay. So, does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, for one, I mean, I'm in a graduate program and yes, at the back of my mind, I knew mental health and mental illness were separate terms, but now that you've explained it that way, um, I guess it's really important when discussing it to make that distinction because I'm even guilty of just kind of blurring the two (laughs) and making it mean the same thing. So thank you for educating me and and I'm sure some listeners on that because that's an important distinction. Yeah, well, it's confusing. And, you know, I work in the field, so this is everyday stuff to me, but um, a lot of people don't don't understand uh, actually what, all of that means and it can be kind of uh, confusing and scary yeah scary for sure so now talking about scary what are some negative stigmas about mental health um as a, a minority myself you know there's a lot in my culture and in my community of where it's just something we don't talk about <laughs> you okay. know all right so i'm glad you brought that up so i do want to talk a little bit more about what isn't mental health if that's mm-hmm. okay so I can yeah absolutely yeah okay so what i think what that question meant was okay so what's the difference between good mental health and uh, poor mental health right mm-hmm. so to answer that question, um, when life becomes too difficult to handle at our baseline way, and notice I didn't say normal because I don't mm-hmm. like that word, mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we become overwhelmed sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so mental health professionals know that the environment can and does affect mental health, just like genetics, ongoing stress, traumatic life events, okay. um, along with basic neurology and physiology. Okay. So to kind of make a long story short, what's going on is everything to do with brain chemistry, okay? Okay. So when um, all these factors are playing a role into our overall mental health and maybe we start struggling, um, it could be genetics at play, but what's happening is neurotransmitters Um, which are the chemical messengers in our brain-body connection Mm -hmm. are being affected. So the levels are off in some way, and that is leading to mental stress. So like, for example, with depression, we have lower serotonin levels, um, and with anxiety, it may include serotonin, norepinephrine, dopamine. So these illnesses are caused by chemical imbalances in the brain. Okay. And and that's it. The the gist of it is like any other organ, there are certain things from the the body needs to maintain optimal health, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the same with the brain. It's the same with brain health. Okay. Um, so in a nutshell, um, that is where mental illness and mental disorders um, come from. Okay. 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 So it, it can be chemically influenced with the neurotransmitters and, and things like that yeah. and chemical levels yes. either rising or Absolutely. dropping. Okay. All yeah. right. So because of that, it's not the fault of the person. 
Right. Mm-hmm. So right. we can't help it if our um, neurotransmitters in our brain are uh, have lower levels or higher levels than what they should, and that's contributing to whatever the disorder is, like anxiety or depression, mm-hmm. schizophrenia, so on and so forth. Okay. All right, so you asked about uh, stigmas mm-hmm. then, right? Right. Oh, you're going to get me going on this now. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> okay, because there's so many. There are. Just so many there stigmas are. and negative thoughts about mental health. So, uh, you know, words like crazy, lazy, mm. nuts, the R word that mm-hmm. just makes me grind my teeth. Yes. Which is, uh, retarded. Yes. Can't stand that word. Yes. Um, you know, I, we hear these words all the time. And it really puts up barriers to people. It, it it separates people you know Mm -hmm. it's like an us and them sort of mentality Mm -hmm. um so like in cases of depression it can be difficult for family members to understand when someone is so down that they literally can't get out of bed or function and so the family members they're worried you know but they say things like hey snap out of it Mm -hmm. or it's just in your head yep or you know somebody who is panicking or has anxiety how helpful is it to stay calm down oh that one (laughs) grinds my gears i've heard that so in the middle of a panic attack in an anxiety attack i've heard i can't count how many times people have just told me to calm down you know if i could i would (laughs) you know Yeah, that's a big so, one. So, along those lines, you know, it's like, would you tell somebody with diabetes um, that's having a hypoglycemic episode, that's low blood sugar, hey, pancreas, knock it off. Right, you know? right. Or somebody who's having an asthma attack, hey, it's all in your lungs, suck it up, man. Right. You know, get over it. Right. But for some reason, with mental health or mental disorders, um, People are blamed and shamed. And the awful thing is, it's not their fault. No. No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that, I mean, I, I'm just I, soaking I it all in. I get, I get it. And there's so many. And I think it feeds into the fear, which leads to, you know, people not seeking services that may truly Absolutely. need it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I understand and I get where these stigmas come from because, you know, we have sort of in our mind the old images of asylums, mm-hmm. um, some of the horrendous practices that they used to do in psychiatry. And I think that has perpetuated the fears and misunderstanding and media doesn't help. No, okay? not at all. Um, the killer always has schizophrenia or bipolar yep. disorder. Yep. Right? Yep. Or, and the media, and this one irritates me too, they use outdated clinical terms like sociopath mm-hmm. that perpetuate these myths, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and these statements occur across all racial groups in America, but mm-hmm. they are stronger in minority groups. Okay. So 
the research has shown um, various reasons for these attitudes. So, for example, in the African-American community, um, Victor Armstrong mm -hmm. relayed that some see mental illness as a spiritual or moral weakness. Okay, wow. Yeah, so because of that, African-Americans are 20% more likely to report psychological distress than the Caucasian population, okay. yet they're less likely to seek treatment. Um, and, you know, that stems from the mistrust mm -hmm. that is built up over hundreds of years, right? Right. Um, and rightfully so, given the history in this country, mm -hmm. is seeking out care. Mm -hmm. And then Asian Americans in a 2017 study in California reported high levels of self-stigmas relating to their mental health problems, and Latinos were also reported a high mental health distress because of fear of embarrassment or shame. Mm -hmm. So the white population overall is more likely to seek services, but stigma still exists in that population as well. Okay. So it's across the board, you know, and, it, and this is um, also internationally as well, where there's a lot of um, misunderstandings about mental health and mental health disorders, mm -hmm. or I should say mental disorders. Okay. And a couple more thoughts on that. So addiction is another highly misunderstood and stigmatized disorder. Mm -hmm. And I think what's really tough about that is it's a family disease. Okay. Right? right. Um, it affects everybody in the family. Right. Um, but the person with the disorder is often ostracized from family and friends. And it's very complex because of social ties uh, and negative behaviors from the person with the addiction. Mm -hmm. And really the heartbreak that comes from this disease. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, and then, you know, there's the myth that people with mental illness, especially schizophrenia, tend to be more prone to violence. Media shows us that, right? Right, right. Absolutely. <laughs> the killer or the, the assailant always has schizophrenia. Um, but in reality, the research has shown that they are more vulnerable to a crime being committed against them. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to, for people to understand too, and this is what I've always tried to do in my career, is focus on some of the positive aspects of the mental disorders that patients have. Okay. And that may sound strange right like what do you mean what's positive about bipolar disorder it's right difficult um diagnosis right. but for example people with bipolar tend to be very creative um, people with depression uh are very realistic okay in their approach to life and you know so on and so forth there's usually some kind of positive thing that comes from how the brain is wired mm -hmm. and even though you may have bipolar disorder the uh, upside to that is maybe you're a very creative person okay 
that's a, a, a you know a positive way of looking at it um because i know as someone who suffers from panic attacks and and a panic disorder um i'm extremely cautious so i i typically analyze things a lot closer <laughs> than, right, a, I, I understand. than a typical person <laughs> Right, right. I need to know the ins, the outs, the how comes, the whys, and everything else in between before I make a decision on something. Um, So, okay. Thank you for that. And why, aside from the 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 negative stigmas and the the ostracizing, I guess, ostracization, help me out with a word. (laughs) You know. At the Wolf Den, we always mess up one word. So hey, that's all right. I'm surprised <laughs> I, I haven't stumbled yet. <laughs> so aside from all of those, why else do you think there's such a disparity in mental health among the minority community? Does it have anything to do with access to health care? Um, mm. Maybe a lack of knowledge and on how to navigate finding sources? Um why do you think that is? Why is there such a huge disparity? Um, being that they're 20% more likely to, you know, know that they have something going on, but less likely to seek help for it. Uh, so that is a very interesting question. Um, so I, and this is just from my experiences uh, with working with a diverse um population throughout my career, but I have had several African-American patients throughout the years just say, and we've talked about this, you know, well, my family doesn't understand. They tell me that I'm being weak or lazy. Mm. Um, And, you know, so to me, that seems like there's a lot of um, those stigmas that exist within these different communities. And so it's hard for people to reach out and get the care because they might be judged by um, others around them. Okay. Right. And it's the same with um, some in the Hispanic uh, populations as well, that uh, this makes me look like I'm weak. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we do have, there's that sort of idea that, uh, you know, if you have a mental illness you're weak Mm -hmm. and that's a really hard thing to overcome now if if that same person was having a heart attack Mm -hmm. would others around them be like oh my god you're so weak right right (laughs) knock it off no no they would be (laughs) they would be rushing to get them the services that they need Mm -hmm. so I don't, it's a really tough issue and I don't want to stereotype in any way, but what the research has shown is that higher socioeconomic levels lead to less mental health distress. Okay. So what we can take from that is if uh, minority groups live in lower socioeconomic areas, well, there's a lot of things that go with that. And one of those is access to um, good mental health and mm-hmm. physical health services. Mm-hmm. So that is uh, a major part of the, the problem. Mm-hmm. 
and there's also a lot of mistrust um, in minority populations, especially uh, in the African-American population because you've had things in the past like the the Tuskegee experiment that went on for over 40 years where there was no informed consent, where these gentlemen were just um, experimented on. And so all of these things have led to uh, a mistrust of um, our services. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, labels and titles and, and things like that, you know, it's we're so conditioned to say it, but they really do carry weight. They're really powerful, you know, and we have to be mindful um, when using them like that lazy word, you know, and, and crazy, you know, no one wants to be crazy. No one right. wants to be labeled that. Right. I mean, so right. I mean, that's scary. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And so, yeah, that, I think that, uh, there's a lot of things that contribute to, um, mental health disparities mm-hmm. and also, you know, does the person have insurance? Yeah. What kind of insurance do they have? And does the insurance cover right. those treatments? So it's a very complex issue. Right, right. So I we we talked a little bit about um people feeling and and they look crazy or they they look a little off. I've heard that so many times. Can you clarify if mental health or mental illness looks like something is there are there like physical (laughs) identifiers to where i can look at that person and say oh my gosh they have a mental illness you know what does mental health look like wow uh that is extremely thank you (laughs) (laughs) so again i'm going to go back to the to the uh media portrayal of mental illness, right? Mm-hmm. So you see that kind of person that's uh, disheveled, they're walking in the street, they're talking to themselves, somebody says something to them, they're like, eh, you know, or mm-hmm. battling something, or, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, they have murderous intent, or those types of things. But honestly, most of the time, uh, you would not know someone has a mental disorder by looking at them okay it's it's a hidden disability so i think if people look at my picture you know hopefully they'll they'll say she looks and i don't like that word normal Mm -hmm. but that's the word people use you Mm -hmm. know it doesn't look like there's anything wrong with her but you know they don't realize that i have a story too right and i have anxiety and, and the things we discussed earlier right so that too, I think, leads to um, stigmas and misunderstanding because people don't realize that, hey, one in five people in this country have a mental disorder. Wow. Yeah, one in five. So there is many, 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 many people, millions, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're talking millions of people um, in this country that have a mental health disorder okay. and so when you look at it that way that's really normalizing right right so it's more the norm than it's not wow 
That's deep. So I guess it's important to know that, I mean, if you do feel that, you know, you have something going on or you have been diagnosed, that's not a rite of passage to you, you know, having this imaginative or hidden sign across your forehead that says, Hey, I'm, you know, I have a mental illness, you know, there's not a look that's associated with it. Once you get the diagnosis, you're still the same person. Absolutely. Okay. But you are better off because knowledge is power and now you have the knowledge so now you can get the help you need to get you back up to baseline okay baseline i like that because normal is like normal is relative (laughs) yeah right (laughs) what is normal you know i see my kids hanging upside down licking the cat and i mean to them that's normal I guess normal really is relative. I like the word baseline because from yeah, there we can go any is, direction. What is normal? I mean, how many of us are there? You know? <laughs> and do we really want to be there? <laughs> we really don't. It's, no, it's so fun. no, it's but not as colorful. Our baseline, you know, that everybody's baseline is a little bit different, and mm-hmm. that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. That's what makes you know humans so so unique. I mean, we are all so different. So you're absolutely right. We have completely different baselines. Um, I still don't know where mine is, <laughs> but we'll figure it out as we go. <laughs> yeah, and it's a you know sometimes it's a lifelong journey, right? Absolutely. So now that we know that mental health or mental illness or bad mental health, good mental health, whatever the case may be, does not have a look. If someone's at home, and I see this on Facebook all the time. Should people Google sites to self-diagnose themselves? I, I, when I saw that question, I, my first thought was, heck no, <laughs> what? No. <laughs> I mean, poor doctors have to deal with that all the time, right? Right. You know, oh, I Googled my symptoms. I think this is what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but then I thought about it and I said, you know what, we have to come overcome these stigmas by learning. Mm-hmm. So by all means, research your symptoms, but don't use Wikipedia. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a scholarly source. <laughs> That's what I tell my students all the time. No wiki. Yes, no. no. <laughs> um, use reliable sites with accurate information like the Centers for Disease Control or the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. These are all reputable reputable sites and agencies. Okay. So, you know, it might be good to research the symptoms so that you can see that there are others who have mental disorders and it really is much more normal, Mm -hmm. like we talked about, Mm -hmm. than we like to think it is. Um, Absolutely. But don't diagnose yourself. Search the symptoms, educate yourself, but go to a licensed professional to get the diagnosis. Please do that. Okay. And the reason that I say that is because um, diagnosing uh, mental disorders is complex Mm -hmm. and it should be done by a licensed professional. Okay. Okay. Because there's similarities in many of the disorders. um, Mm -hmm. And so correct diagnosis is needed so that the appropriate treatment can be recommended. 
Okay, that and makes sense. So you have to have that correct diagnosis, especially if medication is going to be involved, because that medication is going to put into balance neurotransmitters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for that reason, it's important to see a professional. Okay. Okay. And then uh, another question I guess I have, um, the spectrum of the mental illnesses and the spectrum of diagnosis diagnoses, um, does client A who comes into the clinic who has bipolar, does it necessarily mean that client B that comes in with a diagnosis of bipolar have the same exact illness or are there multiple spectrums with the same name? Does that make sense? It does. And with the DSM-5 that came out in 2013, mm-hmm. um, with a couple of disorders, they put it on a spectrum. Oh. Right? So autism spectrum. Okay. So that includes uh, anywhere from low functioning to very high functioning people with autism. Right? Okay. And I, and I think that I love that idea, and I kind of wish they would do that with more of them, because like you're talking bipolar, well, there's um, four different distinctions when it comes to bipolar disorder, so no, not two are the same, and then, you know, people are individuals, right, and so somebody might cycle through the moves quicker than another person, Mm -hmm. so that's a really good question. Yeah, I just I'm wondering because I know that, you know, for some who may not be as educated or, or, you know, doesn't know a lot about, you know, mental illness and and things like that. When someone, you know, tells them or announces that they have a a disorder, albeit depression, anxiety, bipolar, schizophrenia, there's not a one type all symptom kind of thing or characteristics of it, you know. I just I find that that's lacking. So when someone says, "Hey, I, I you know I'm bipolar," it's already this connotation of who they are, what they do, what their disorder looks like. When there's actually a spectrum and there's multiple variants of it, so that that's really important to know that just because someone says, "Hey, I'm autistic," it doesn't mean you know what I'm saying. It can mean something right. completely different than what you would typically see on social media, the news, um, and things like that. Absolutely. And so, um, but we do know the symptomology and because of the, um, you know, there's this uh, whole process you go through to diagnose someone. So um, because of their symptoms and, you know, that decision has been made that, oh, it's bipolar disorder because there are similarities between, right? There's similar Mm -hmm. behaviors that uh, are in the, the DSM and that gives us clinical guidance and making those um, diagnoses. But you're right, everybody's individual. Okay. And so I think that is something that should be further explored. Okay, awesome. Thank you for that. And then, so moving towards, for those who already know that they have the mental, uh, they have a mental illness or, you know, they're right at the brink. What are some resources available to those who have received a mental illness diagnosis? And are there laws protecting these people um, in the community, in the workplace, you know, things like that? What protections and resources are available to this population? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
I'm just throwing them. I know you are. <laughs> so let me just uh, step back. So you want to know about the protections uh -huh. and then the resources, right? Right. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so yes, there's protections in place for people with mental health in the workplace. So the Americans with Disabilities Act covers people with mental and emotional disabilities, as well as people with physical disabilities. Mm -hmm. So what I used to tell people over and over and over again uh -huh. when I worked in rehabilitation counseling is that when you apply for a job, uh, you do not have to give them any information about your medical or mental health, okay? That is none of their business, right? So you'll see it on applications sometimes. You have a disability, right? Right. And so people feel prompted to, oh, I got to answer that. Uh -huh. uh, no, you don't. They shouldn't actually be asking you that. Okay. What they can ask is, can you do the job with or without reasonable accommodation? Okay. Okay. So they can ask it in that way. And then you, maybe you would say, yes, I do need an accommodation. And you tell them what that accommodation is. And most of the time, um, and here's another uh, stigma that's sort of out there is that people think that these accommodations are these huge um, projects, you know, having to put in ramps and mm -hmm. widen doors and all these right. things. But uh, an accommodation can be as simple as, uh, say, for a cashier job, providing a stool for somebody who has a bad back. So that's okay. an example of a physical. For somebody with a mental um, dis disability, it might just be they have to take a little breather. So they might have to take another short break. Mm -hmm. um, and go into a quiet place mm -hmm. or they might be uh, better off in uh, a setting where there's not a lot of people around mm -hmm. you know so these are things it, as an applicant that you want to think about when you're looking at a job place but is from an employer perspective providing an accommodation doesn't necessarily mean a huge expense right I know, you know, and it's funny that you say that because one of my accommodations um, for my anxiety and my panic um, is working with the lights off and with like a small desk light. So I remember when I was at my previous employer and so many of my colleagues would ask, you know, why are you always work working with your, your um, light off? And it's the, the light. I mean, it's none of their business, number one, but... <laughs> Number two, um, the light would, um, I would, I would get overstimulated, um, yeah. if the light was on too, too often. So even something as simple, I, the reason I say that something as simple as just an employee or you turning off the light is an accommodation. Um, at least for me, it was, um, and for what I had. Yep. Absolutely. And, yeah. And that's a really good point because those lights, um, the fluorescent lights, uh, they're really not good for overall health anyway. And mm -hmm. a lot of times people get headaches and that type of thing. So that's an excellent example of an accommodation that's very easy. And 
very easy. Cost-effective, right? Right. It actually saves them money because you're not running those lights. (laughs) Right. For 10 hours out of the day. Absolutely. So getting away from the the bulk of it, um, what is your advice? Because I know that there are some students from my university who listen to this podcast. And I have met probably in the last year alone, well over a thousand students who are wanting to pursue um, a a career in mental health, uh, child mental health, adolescent mental health, you know, and things like that. What is advice for someone who has went through all of this and is working in the field, is a doctor in this field? What is your advice for someone who wants to pursue a career as a mental health counselor or even just a technician? Okay. So that's a great question. So what I want to say is um, a lot of people are attracted to the field because it's like, oh, this is an opportunity to work on my own issues. Mm -hmm. Work on those before you get into Mm -hmm. a program. Um, You know, it's a lifelong journey, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's okay to to continue to go to therapy and stuff, but don't, um, don't do it because you want to fix yourself do it because you want to work with people and help them okay because it really is when you get in the job it's really all about the patient and that's the way it should be absolutely Um, right and if you're looking to go into uh, mental health counseling or Mm -hmm. you want to be a therapist or you know do your research like what is it that you really want to do you want to do clinical work you mm. want to do research you want to work with children um, you know what is it that you want to do and i would always advise somebody if you you know if you're going to go um, for a master's program make sure it's one that leads to licensure because if you mm-hmm. don't get a license from it you're going to be limited on what you can do So you might want to be a therapist, but maybe you get a a master's in family life studies. Mm -hmm. Well, you can't be a therapist with that. It has to be um, along a certain track. And there's really three different ways you can go with that. So there's, you can become a a licensed social worker, Mm -hmm. um, a licensed professional counselor like I am, Mm -hmm. or a psychologist. Okay. So there's a lot of... um, a lot of homework that has to be done with that before you make that decision about your uh, career. Okay. All right. And then you answered my last question, which was, does it matter where someone goes to school in order to, you know, get into this field? You know, I think especially with the first year students that I've came in contact with those who are, you know, within their first uh, 30 credits or so, um, they're thinking that, okay, I just need the degree to show that I went to college, that's it. <laughs> and you're absolutely right. You have to make sure that it's an accredited institution and that they have a pathway to licensure because, I mean, some don't. Yeah, you have a, a master's right. in psychology, right. but <laughs> can you get licensed with that specific degree from that specific university? Absolutely. So. You know, like in my uh, field, counseling, uh, the master's program I was in was K-CREP accredited. Don't mm. ask me to remember what you're doing right now. <laughs> but it's a certain credentialing process. 
that most states require to get your uh, license. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that you couldn't get your license without that, but most states require that. So there again, that's something that you want to look at too. You want to get on the state websites um, and see what it is you need to do to get licensed. And a lot of times they're going to say, uh, they're going to pinpoint a specific um, accreditation, like in my field, paid crowd. I don't quite know what it is for um, social work or psychology, but I do know that they have the same process. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure you're looking at a school that has that where that program is accredited. Okay. All right. And that is uh, the last question that I have. So we okay. are going to do the uh, initiation round uh where we ask you some wolf trivia okay are you ready for that i am i just wanted to uh quickly share some resources if I could. absolutely go ahead okay um so for anybody who feels like they need help with uh their mental distress you know first of all you can go to your doctor and it's a good idea that you can do that because maybe is there a physical reason for or a medical reason for what's going on um, mm. but there's some sites that you can go to that, to help as well and um, one of those is the National Suicide Prevention I'm going to give you that number um, so you have an 800-273-8255 there's uh, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, that's an excellent site to go to because they have peer support as well. Mm -hmm. Their number is 800-950-6264. And, you know, if your insurance card has a number on the back. You can call and ask for providers, but you can also say, I need help with uh, setting up a provider. Do you have a case manager or care coordinator that can assist me with that process? Because a mm. lot of insurance companies offer that. People don't realize that. Okay. But they can do the maneuvering through the healthcare system. Okay. Awesome. And then what we'll do is at the end when we post this live for everyone, um, those numbers and resources. Um, and tips will be included so that, you know, if you feel that you need it, it'll be there for your use. Awesome. Okay. Now, are you ready to step into the initiation round? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we are going to bring Dr. Kathy Davis into the initiation round. All right, first question. What do wolves use their scent for? Is it A, finding prey, B, a cover-up, C, marking their territory, or D, nothing at all? I'm going to go with A. A, finding prey? Yeah. Nope, marking their territory, C. Oh. <laughs> That's all right, we still got two more. All right. Oh, that's brutal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question two. In each pack, there are two of what? A, alphas, B, males, C, females, or D, pups? Man, 
I used to watch National Geologic. It's letting me down now. <laughs> I'm going to say female. No, alphas. <laughs> alphas. Oh, well, that's right because uh, they're they're the mates, right? Right, the alpha male oh. and then the alpha female. Better stick with mental health. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can redeem yourself on this last question. I'll try. Okay, last question. After eating a meal, what do wolves typically do? A, sleep. B, walk. C, look for more food. Or D, patrol their territory. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so I'd like to say sleep, but it's probably patrol their territory. You were right with the first one. I'll give it to you. It's sleep. They typically oh, really? sleep. Yep. <laughs> the same thing I do. We're just going to take a nap. We're going to rest it off. The same thing I do. Yeah, I, I get that. <laughs> All right. Thank Yikes. you so much. That was a lot of fun. Um, thank you for coming on to the podcast. Uh, this will be announced and um advertised on the uh wolf den facebook page so any comments any things like that feel free to jump on that page dr davis thank you so much for joining us clearing up some of these stigmas thank you thank you and we look forward to having you on again in the future um i know a lot of people have um reached out to me and they were looking forward to this especially in the light of you know, our social climate right now with COVID and, you know, us being social creatures having to, you know, <laughs> live in a box for right, absolutely. the past absolutely. year. Love to talk about that. Yeah, <laughs> we definitely can. That's actually not on the, um, on schedule. No one's talking about that. And I think that's really, really important, especially I know in, in Clark County, the school district, um, they released, mm. um, some data showing that, um, Suicides typically happen in the schools, you know, each year annually. However, there has been a sharp increase, especially yeah. for those in K through five. Um, second is the middle school. And then last would be the high school, which completely blew my mind because, you know, my kids are that age and I, bad parenting, I'm slapping myself on the wrist. I never really thought about how this is affecting their mental health you know absolutely yeah so yeah i mean humans are social creatures absolutely 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 it's needed but it's really hard so maybe us talking about that in the future um once i get settled in north carolina uh talking about how this pandemic has reshaped mental health you know more people reaching out for it i know that i'm starting to see a lot of um therapy on demands where you can text and chat with a therapist. And I think that's so amazing because it's making those services more accessible. Um, especially for those who may be nervous about actually having to physically walk into a building, you can talk to someone and get help from the comfort of your bedroom, you know? So absolutely. Again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Many, many thank yous for coming on. 
And for everyone else, that concludes this episode of The Wolfden. Thank you for joining us. And don't forget to join us on The Wolfden social media accounts. They are linked in the description. Um, make sure you follow those, subscribe to those so that you don't miss any upcoming episodes or information on the podcast. The next episode, we will be joined by published author Rosalinda Jimenez, who just released her newest publication. So, all right, everyone, thank you again for joining us. Have a great weekend. And as always, thank you for being a part of the Wolf Pack. Bye.